We are. We are. We are cultivate. 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 We are cultivate. Hello and welcome to Yield Crime, where we discuss the funny, strange, and obscure crimes of yesteryear. I'm your host, Lindsay Valenti, and with me is my sister and co-host, Maddie Stangle. Hello. Hello. We do have a special side guest, a silent guest, which is Willie, who's laying next to me for this story. He doesn't always join us, but if you hear heavy breathing... Or like rustling sounds, I'm petting him while I listen. And if you hear what sounds like a wind tunnel, that's because it's super windy outside today. It's real bad here. Holy Mm -hmm. smokes. All right. Let's get into it. So today we are going to be discussing the story of Mary Toft. Have you heard of her? That name is familiar, but as always, I have the memory of a goldfish. So I'm sure I'll be like, oh, at like some point in the story. I think, yeah, I think you will. <laughs> yeah. Information was pulled from the following sources. A 2021 IFL science article by Jane Felton. I think it's James Felton. I just didn't spell his whole name. 2020 Burials and Beyond article by Kate Sherrill. 2020 History Extra article. 2019 Atlas Obscura article by Sabrina Imbler. 2016 The Paris Review article by Edward White. 2015 History Workshop Journal Number 80 article by Karen Harvey. 2013 The Public Domain Review article by Nikki Russell. 2009 Godalming Museum article. 2009 University of Glasgow Library Special Collections. And Wikipedia. There we go. And links to all of these articles will be included in the show notes. Got something you want to say? Shoot us an email over at yieldcrimepodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your story ideas, see any gifts you send our way, or if you just want to say hello. We're pretty friendly. Speaking of friendly, if you'd like to have real-time conversations with us, consider joining our Discord over at the Cultivate Network. You can chat with us over at the Old Crimers Cubby, or catch up with any of the other great creators that are part of the Cultivate family of podcasts. Just click the link in our show notes, or over on our link tree to get started today. Mary Toft was born Mary Denier on February 21st, 1703, to parents John and Jane Denier. Growing up in Godalming, Surrey, England, which was one of the poorest areas in the county, Mary was 17 when she married 18-year-old Joshua Taft in 1720, who was a wool cloth worker. Okay. Both would be considered young for getting married, as the normal average age was 24 at this time. Okay. But, given they were both unskilled laborers, it was more traditional for those of lower social standing to marry younger. Weird flex, but okay. Yeah. I was like, that's mean. You're already broken, uneducated, so why waste time? Yep. (laughs) Just jump right into it. Just procreate now. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it'll help your situation. Totes. The pair continued to live in Godalming with their three children, 
Anne was born on March 27th, 1723, and she would pass away not long after in July of that year. James was born a year later on July 8th, 1724. Mary was described as a short, stocky woman that was illiterate, impoverished, and had a, quote, sullen temper, unquote. Wow, so she had people that liked her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's short, fat, uneducated, and mean. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, damn. All right. Godalming, which was located around 50 miles southwest of London, was a stagecoach stop. Okay. So kind of like a rest stop, essentially. Yeah. On April 23rd, 1726, Mary was weeding in the hop fields where she worked with other women when she spotted a rabbit. Several weeks pregnant with her third child, Mary attempted to chase down the rabbit in hopes of a free dinner, but it unfortunately Uh, got away from her. I was just going to say, I would not want to chase after a rabbit if I'm heavily pregnant, like even in general. Yeah. That sounds like a bad time. They're fast. They're super fast. I feel like unless you're like Usain Bolt, you're not going to be able to catch a rabbit. (laughs) Yeah, like what possessed her to be like, you know what? I can do it. (laughs) Maybe. I can get that. Well, if you're poor and you can't afford meat, you're going to be like, hells yeah. If there's even the slight possibility that you can get it. You know what I mean? Just extreme pregnancy cravings. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Rabbit. (laughs) From that point on, rabbits were all that Mary could think about for the next couple weeks. There you go. (laughs) Yep. The craving for rabbit meat became more and more intense, which also made her sad knowing that they could never afford rabbit meat on their meager income. Oh, Mary. Four months later, in the middle of August, it appeared that Mary was going into premature labor when she fell ill. Initially seen by her neighbor, Mary Gill, and then her mother-in-law, Anne Toft, quote, she was taken with a flooding and violent colic pains, which made her to miscarry of a substance that she said was like a large lump of flesh. Three weeks later, early September, she passed another substance, though she continued to exhibit the symptoms of a breeding woman, unquote. What? So she still appeared pregnant, basically. But she miscarried late, right? Yeah. If she was heavily pregnant, that would... She was... To me, that implies, like, seven months. So she was... It said several weeks pregnant in April, but it didn't say exactly, like, how long. I'm assuming it was a couple months. So then April, May, June, July, August. So yeah, it would still be, like, pretty late in the pregnancy. And she just birthed a lump of flesh? That's horrifying. Mm -hmm. So, as I inferred, Mary had suffered a miscarriage in early August, but still appeared Uh pregnant, and her cervix was still dilated. Oh my god, that poor woman. Mm -hmm. It wasn't uncommon in the late 18th century for women who performed hard manual labor work to miscarry, and she would spend hours working in the hop fields, like gathering hop. Yeah, but still, like, I I understand miscarrying, especially when, you know, now, especially they're like, no hard labor, no lifting heavy objects, Mm -hmm. no 
nothing super exertive. Like, I get that. But why is her cervix still dilated? I don't and know. why is she still discharging? Well, because it said in there flesh. she discharged stuff in early September. So she was miscarrying from, like, mid-August to early September. So over yeah, the course of a long period of time. Not okay. No. At all. That would kill most people, I feel like, in that yeah. situation. Damn, Mary, are you a robot? <laughs> Trigger warning. I should have oh, said no. it before the miscarriage part. Sorry about that. After this point, things are going to get weird and gross involving Great. dead animals. If this is something you can't handle, I suggest you stop listening. Okay, bye. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> but if you're familiar with the story, you know what you're getting yourself into. So. Oh, no. Onward and upward. <laughs> uh-huh. I can't leave, so you're welcome, everybody yep, else. <laughs> you gotta stay here. <laughs> On September 27th, when Mary was 25, she became very ill, and when she was seen by midwife John Howard, he claimed that instead of giving birth to a baby, she had instead given birth to a variety of dead animals. What? No. At first, what appeared to be a pig's bladder, then the head and paw of a cat, before one by one, 11 rabbits were delivered. I, no, no, no. <laughs> John described the delivery as including, quote, three legs of a cat of a tabby color and one leg of a rabbit. The guts were as a cat's, and in them were three pieces of the backbone of an eel. End quote. No. No. What the hell, Mary? John had all the rabbits, who were obviously born deceased, pickled in jars that he kept in his study, following his report on the strange occurrence to this distinguished medical professionals of London. So he pickled them, and then he, like, sent a note the people in london like what is this <laughs> so this thing happened why <laughs> i don't <What>? understand <laughs> how the weekly journal published a notice about the strange event in their october 10th 1726 edition quote from guildford comes a strange but well-attested piece of news that a poor woman who lives in godalming near that town who has an husband and two children now living with her, was, about a month past, delivered by Mr. John Howard, an eminent surgeon and man midwife living at Guilford, of a creature resembling a rabbit, end quote. Yeah, everybody would think she's the devil. Yeah, you would think. The bulk of the medical men of London predictably laughed off John's letters as the ramblings of a delusional country bumpkin. Yeah. I can see that happening. That is, until King George I heard of the tale. Oh, great. He at once ordered his court anatomist, Nathaniel Saint-André, as well as Samuel Molneux, who was the secretary of the Prince of Wales, to investigate the matter. Of course. Nathaniel Saint-André himself was quite a unique character, Born and raised in Switzerland, he spent most of his adolescence wandering around Europe performing a number of trades, including as a servant, language teacher, fencing instructor, and a dancer. 
Oh, he dances. After sustaining a fencing injury, thanks to one of his students, he discovered that surgeons made quite a bit of money, certainly more than any of the occupations he had previously worked. Yeah, this is not a good way to start being a surgeon. Yep. Or a good one. So, he moved to London, got mm-hmm. set up with an apprenticeship, and not mm-hmm. long after, he set up his own surgical practice. Of course, because it's that easy to be a surgeon. Back then it was. Yeah. Horrifying. Nathaniel was a charmer and used his good looks and extravagant tastes to charm and seduce his way into the Georgian court, quickly establishing himself as the king's anatomist. Hate it. It was very serendipitous that the pair arrived in Guilford, where Mary had been relocated, on November 15, 1726, because as soon as they arrived at the home of John Howard, both observed Mary giving birth to a 15th rabbit. Not only that, but several more came after this. I hate it so much. You're going to hate it a lot more by the end of this story. (laughs) Nathaniel noted that in between the births, her abdomen would pulsate and quiver almost as if the baby bunnies were jumping around looking for a way out. I hate this. He believed that the pressure of being birthed is what ultimately caused each one to be born dead, or in crushed pieces. No. No. Please make it stop. (laughs) Nathaniel went on to note that although Mary seemed to be in extreme amounts of pain during the final stages of each labor, in between, quote, she laughed very heartily with us, end quote. So she's good until she's not, and then she's really not good. Yeah. And then she births pieces of animal. Mm-hmm. Like, routinely. Yeah. Instead of doing what a normal person would and say to himself, hold up, that's weird. <laughs> Instead, Nathaniel took several of the pickled baby rabbits back with him to London to present to the understandably confused king and arranged to have Mary brought to the capital so she could be examined by the leading physicians in the city, as well as the leading physicians of the royal court. I hate this. And there was also mention of her getting money for this. Of course. But, spoiler alert, that never happened. Of course. I should also mention that not long after this, Nathaniel published his account of events on December 3rd, 1726, titled A Short Narrative of an Extraordinary Deliver of Rabbits, which became a big hit in London. He described Mary as, quote, She seemed to be of a healthy, strong constitution, of a small size, and fair complexion, of a very stupid and sullen temper. She can neither write nor read, end quote. She's dumb as hell. But she's pretty. (laughs) But she's pretty, which is better than that earlier description. Yeah. She's just dumb. So she's she's fat and short, but she's pretty. Mm Mm-hmm. And dumb and mean. I'd be mean, too, if I was birthing animals constantly. Yeah. What the hell? Yeah. No. Mary became an instant sensation. 
and here's why. During the early 1700s, human monstrosities were a huge draw for the public. This included conjoined twins, children born with birth defects, even the corpses of stillborn children would be put on display in what we would today consider freak shows, or just abominations, really. Awesome. So this is when it really became popular. Yep. Because, I mean, there's always been a fascination with it. Mm-hmm. But gross. Okay. I didn't yep. know it started this early. Yep. Some physicians of the day, such as Dr. John Mowbray, even believed that if women became too close with dogs, apes, or squirrels, for example, the children they gave birth to could come out as mutated monsters. Okay. In fact, Joseph Merrick, who was more commonly known as the Elephant Man, believed in this theory and that his mother had been startled by an elephant, which accounted for his mutated appearance. Oh. In his autobiography, he wrote, quote, The deformity which I am now exhibiting was caused by my mother being frightened by an elephant. My mother was going along the street when a, process- a procession of animals was passing by. There was a terrible crush of people to see them, and unfortunately she was pushed under the elephant's feet, which frightened her very much. This occurring during a time of pregnancy was the cause of my deformity, end quote. No, but like, good try? Yeah. I guess. Yeah. I understand the logic, but like, no. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, but you're wrong. So for Mary to come on the scene giving birth to dead baby rabbits, it understandably made her the talk of the town. Yeah. Just because Nathaniel was convinced that what he observed was legit, that didn't mean that other doctors agreed with him. Mm -hmm. The king, who was intrigued, sent two more physicians to investigate the matter further in Guildford before she was brought to London. Mm -hmm. German surgeon... Syracus Allers and Mr. Brand. The pair witnessed the birth of several more rabbits and proceeded to examine them. Upon examining the rabbits and other bits that had been delivered, they discovered that many of the paws still had their claws intact and that some of the rabbits even had dung pellets in their rectums that contained corn, hay, and straw, which would denote that they didn't develop in her womb naturally. Because, obviously, that wouldn't be the case. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they also noticed that the age of the rabbits would vary. Some would be very new. Others seemed to be almost as old as three months. I hate this. Both men believed it all to be a ruse. And on November 21st, they reported their findings and brought forth their evidence to the king. The pair weren't the only ones that were skeptical. Sir Richard Manningham, who was a midwife for the upper class and elite of London, had his doubts as well. On November 29, 1726, Mary moved to Roger Lacey's bathhouse in Leicester Fields, where she was examined by Richard and several other doctors. So this is like in London, but like in a section of London. Okay, like a suburb almost? Yeah. Or like a neighborhood. Mm -hmm. During his initial examination of her, several things became quite clear to Richard. 
the leaping of the rabbit seemed to come from the right side of her belly. She had a flushed face, her pulse would rapidly increase, and as is typical in uterine deliveries, she would, quote, spread a little, end quote. It just sounds gross. Yep. According to Richard, Mary had, quote, convulsions which I never before observed in her, with frequent contractions of her fingers, rolling of her eyes, and great riflings in her stomach and belly. During the fit, she would often make a whining noise and at intervals be more than ordinary faint, end quote. Mm, I really hate this so much. <laughs> the seizure that Richard observed lasted for two whole hours, and at one point he couldn't even find her pulse. Great, so she, like, dies briefly with yeah. this stuff. Yeah. And almost as if a switch had been flipped, it all suddenly ceased, and Mary was able to fall fast asleep, waking up the next day having no recollection of the fit. She also, between November 30th and December 3rd, didn't deliver a single rabbit. Okay. It probably won't surprise you to learn that there is a twist in our tale. Uh-huh. On December 7th, 1726, a porter named Thomas Howard that worked at the Bagnio, or the bathhouse, where Mary was staying, shared that her sister-in-law, Margaret Toft, had tried to bribe him into giving her the smallest rabbit he could find to smuggle into Mary's room. Mm-hmm. Hearing this, Richard immediately confronted Mary, who denied the accusation. But when he came back stating that the only way to prove that she was being truthful was to conduct exploratory surgery, Mary broke down and confessed that everything had been a hoax. I hate her. <laughs> this is all so fucked up. I don't think you'll hate her by the end of this. It does get worse. Journalists had a field day when the news broke. Mm -hmm. Nathaniel St. Andre became a laughingstock, along with the six medical professionals who examined Mary, including a number of members from the Royal College of Physicians. Great. And Mary herself wasn't immune to their barbs. Mm -hmm. The London public made up two camps those who viewed her as an ignorant fool that was likely being manipulated by her husband so they could make money, and those who viewed her as a wanton woman willing to lift up her skirt for attention. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Mary worked with a journalist to tell her side of things and was interviewed by Dr. James Douglas. She dictated her confession and apology on December 7th and 8th, while at the same time blaming her husband and his mother, not to mention the wife of the local organ grinder, for pushing her to take part in the hoax in the first place. She was interviewed a third time on December 12th. The very first line of her confession went, quote, I will not go on any longer, thus I shall sooner hang myself, end quote. Okay. Another section of the confession read as, quote, the woman hath made an oath that two months ago, being worked in a field with other women, they put up a rabbit, who running from them they pursued it, but to no purpose. This created in her such a longing to it, that she, being with child, was taken ill, and miscarried, and from that time she hath not been able to avoid thinking of rabbits." 
end quote. Mm-hmm. We knew that part. The ploy for sympathy didn't work, and instead backfired spectacularly. On December 9th, Mary was charged as a notorious and vile cheat and was held at Bridewell Prison for four months before her case was dismissed. That that was a punishable thing? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was like that in like imposture was another term for what she was arrested for. Basically okay. when you are telling lies potentially for financial gain. Okay. Which she wasn't, but... Mm. She was regularly humiliated when the wardens would allow members of the public into the prison for a small fee to gawk at and ridicule her. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Great. Going back to the whole SciShow thing. Mm -hmm. Public interest in Mary and the rabbits died off around January of 1727. And around a year later, Mary's fourth and final child was born on February 4th, 1728. Elizabeth. She would be the final child that Mary and her husband would have. So technically, she only had the three children, but I was including in there the child that she passed. Yeah. Following this, Mary almost disappeared completely from the public eye, with the exception of when the second Duke of Richmond, Charles Lennox, who lived in Godalming, would invite her over to Church House for his dinner parties to provide entertainment for his guests. Of course. She resurfaced briefly a few decades later in April of 1740, after she was convicted of receiving stolen goods. She was sent to the House of Correction in Guildford, but was acquitted by the jury before just as quickly falling back into obscurity. She passed away on January 13, 1763, at the age of 60, and the parish noted her as, quote, Mary Toft, widow, the impostress rabbit, end quote. Mm. And although she's buried, no gravestone has been found. Good, kind of, so nobody could mess with her body. Yeah. Mary's story plays out like so many others we've seen since then. Tabloid scandals involving sex, xenophobia, suspicion, power, and public derision and humiliation. Mm -hmm. We also have to keep in mind that Mary's confessions were extracted only after she was threatened with a very painful exploratory surgery. Not to mention she was under almost constant observation, with five to ten men in the room with her at any given time. Mm. Her statements are also contradictory. In the first one given on December 7th, she placed the bulk of the blame on the organ grinder's wife, who wasn't named. And in the second and third statements given on the 8th and the 12th respectively, she places the blame on her mother-in-law and the midwife, John Howard. In her statements, she shared that after her initial miscarriage, her mother-in-law and another woman named Mary Gill provided her with the rabbit and animal parts that she was to quote-unquote deliver and the parts were initially inserted into her by someone else so that she could pass them vaginally before she was forced to put the other parts in herself once she arrived in London. That's horrifying. The animals included fully developed baby rabbits, pieces of animal bodies, bones, and more. Considering she had all these foreign bodies inside of her, it's no wonder that she would exhibit the types of symptoms that she did, such as the seizures, when mm-hmm. she was passing them out of her body, 
especially at the end when she was indeed suffering from a horrible infection. Yeah, I bet. Honestly, it's a miracle that she didn't die, but that she was able to go on to have another child after this without causing herself serious bodily harm is even more impressive. Because you would think by like putting all of that in you that it would ruin something. Oh, absolutely. Especially if they still had claws and stuff. Yeah, like when I read that, I was like, uh, no, that doesn't sound pleasant at all. And bones, like that was horrifying. That's awful. So you may be wondering what the significance of the rabbits was. Rabbits were controversial. They symbolized the elite of society and were more often than not property of the elite, as they were valuable for their fur and meat. Rabbits that snuck onto the land of commoners and ruined their crops were an issue, but there was nothing they could do about it because killing or taking a landowner's rabbit was considered theft and could result in extremely harsh punishments or death. So having such a controversial animal as the central focus of this hoax really made a statement. As for Nathaniel St. Andre... Even though he published a retraction in the Daily Journal on December 9th, 1726, following the reveal that it was all a hoax, the damage had been done. Yeah. Quote, Having contributed in some measure to the belief of an imposter in a narrative lately published by me of an extraordinary deliver of rabbits performed by Mr. Howard, surgeon of Guildford, and having been since instrumental in discovering the fame, so that I am now thoroughly convinced it is a most abominable fraud. I think myself obliged, in strict regard to truth, to acquaint the public thereof, and that I intend in a short time to publish a full account of the discovery with some considerations on the extraordinary circumstances of this case, which Mm -hmm. missed me in my apprehensions thereof, and which, as I hope they will in some measure, excuse the mistakes made by myself and others, who have visited the woman concerned therein, will also be acceptable to the world in separating the innocent from those who have been guilty actors of this fraud. End quote. Mm-hmm. That was two sentences. <laughs> Jeez. God. Great. His reputation was ruined. He lost all of his patience, his Good. standing in the royal court, and Good. he died in poverty. Good. The medical profession of the early 1700s was also made a mockery. Mm -hmm. The public viewed medical practitioners as frauds and incompetent phonies. The bulk of the vitriol appeared to be aimed at the doctors who weren't based in Britain, as the public thought it was curious that the king would employ so many foreigners who just happened to be fooled spectacularly by this hoax. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Which kind of goes back to the whole xenophobia thing, because it's like, mm-hmm. you know, cause some of them were German and some of them were from Sweden and mm-hmm. Switzerland, and they were the ones that were all fooled. But anyway, thankfully, John Howard, the midwife, was able to keep his respected reputation upon returning to Guildford, and a few other physicians were able to repair their reputations as well. And that is the horrifying story of Mary Toft. That's really sad. I felt really bad for her Mm -hmm. because given how she wasn't very intelligent, 
it seems like this is something that, at least from the things that I read, that it was something that her mother-in-law thought up and she was kind of forced into doing it. Yeah. And the fact that people thought it was okay to like do all this stuff to her and like hurt her physically by doing the things they were doing is really not okay. And the whole reason they were like, Oh, it's okay because she still looked pregnant because she had recently Mm -hmm. miscarried. So they were like, Oh, we can totally fool these people by, because you still look pregnant. I think it's disgusting. It is. It's just a sad story all around. If you're interested in ad-free content, consider supporting us with a one-time donation either over on Buy Me a Coffee or our Venmo page, both of which are in our link tree and in the show notes. If you'd like early ad-free content, not to mention some bonus material, become a member of our Patreon today for as low as a dollar a month. It's time to feel the rage. Join us on Film Rage, where we talk movies, current releases, coming attractions, streaming, and classic films as well. Directors and actors, beware as you cannot hide from the rage. My name is Bryce, and I'm part of the Film Rage crew, which also includes Jim. Hey, hey. And Murray. Yo. Why is it that you always talk? All the time. I can't understand I why. This, this, is this is the Merman, the voice of reason. These two can't agree on anything most of the time. Some movies are Mondo. Some are just... Every week, something is going to make us rage. Join us every Wednesday and feel the rage. On a lighter note, uh, this week's podcast plug is Film Rage. Join the Film Rage crew, Jim, Bryce, and Murray, as they discuss movies currently playing, coming soon, streaming, and from the past. Expect passionate, opinionated talk about actors, directors, and everything to do with cinema. They love movies just like you, so sit back, relax, and feel the rage. And we will have a link to their show in the show notes. Yay! So what is something good you'd like to share? Oh man, something good. There's been, there's a couple of things, honestly, like one of them being my fiancé and I have started like a craft together recently. Mm-hmm. And so it's been really fun being able to be like creative with him and doing mm-hmm. another like pastime during the week. Mm-hmm. It's been really nice. And it was also really nice. I took my dogs to our parents' house where they have a nice big fenced in backyard so they could frolic and play. Mm-hmm. Despite it being like kind of cold and wet yesterday mm-hmm. and really windy today, they had a really great time. And the little dogs just really love whooping on Chief. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Chief loves being whooped on by them. So, yeah, he can take it. He was part of the Corgi gang for the weekend. And then that leaves Willie to get all the attention from his grandparents, which he loves. So, mm-hmm. it was just kind of a nice little weekend and nice little weekday stuff. What about you? I don't know. I will say I've I've been able to make some time this week to read more for pleasure. Oh, nice. I'm very slowly making my way through this book. I'm blanking on what it's called now. The Invention of Murder. How the Victorians reveled in death and detection and created modern crime. Nice. By Judith Flanders. It is a very big book. There are a lot of pages. It is heavy content. 
556 pages. I have not updated my place in a while, but <laughs> I am almost to the third chapter, I think. Nice. I'm slowly making my way through it. Maybe I'll be able to finish it by the end of the year. <laughs> I thought, yeah, hopefully. We'll see. So that's my good thing, is I'm reading for pleasure again, periodically. Awesome. All right. On that note, a great way to support the show if you want to help out but can't do so financially is to leave us a five-star rating and review on Podchaser, Good Pods, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you can leave a review. This week's comes from our lovely friend Dustin, and this was on Podchaser. And he says, do you like history? Do you like crime? Do you want your murderers 100% dead and unable to harm further? Then do I have the pod for you. <laughs> Madison and Lindsay dig up old stories of poisonings, executions, and general deathiness to keep you entertained. True crime meets history on this wonderful pod. Thank you, Dustin. That's so nice. You're the best, Dustin. I love you. <laughs> Looking for more content? You can find us online at yieldcrimepodcast.com. If you'd like to see pictures from this week's episode, not to mention bonus content and funny memes, make sure to follow us on Twitter at YieldCrimePod and on Facebook and Instagram at YieldCrimePodcast. On TikTok? Of course you are. Follow us at YieldCrimePodcast. And again, I have the inside scoop and I know that we're having a sale at our tea Public shop. November 9th through the 13th this week. So enjoy 35% off everything in the store, $14 tees, and head on over and get your holiday shopping done early. There you go. If you want a playlist of all our episodes on YouTube, click the link in our show notes or in our link tree and subscribe today for not only a list of our full catalog, but a separate list as well, just of our Can You Crack the Cramp Word segments. And on that note, as always, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Madison. And we'll see you next time with another tale as old as crime. <laughs>